So it's still winter in Ohio, if you weren't aware. And I walked out this morning uh, to a car that had um, a little bit of fog or frost on the, the front of it. And this is my van. True, real life picture this morning. And I never really planned well for this. Like, I plan for everything else getting ready in the morning, but I'm always like, I gotta take care of that windshield. And I'm gonna confess that in my younger days, maybe like two weeks ago, I sometimes just wait until I have that little bitty, bitty, little bitty, bitty circle um, that is defrosted. And then I just kind of drive down the road like that. It's a little hard to see. But I promise you this morning, I did take my scraper out. Um, my children, though, have taken it apart. So all I have is the brush, which is quite useless. But I promise you, it was there was a big square that I could see out this morning as I drove the two blocks here to church. But it it's so interesting to me, though, like how I deal with that. Like I just kind of put up with the film, you know, or that filter of ice and water on my windshield. And it really does make it hard to navigate, doesn't it? And sometimes when we do that, we, you know, if we don't deal with the full windshield, which is there so we can see, um, it does make it hard for us to, to navigate. And so we either go really extra cautious, you know, we drive a little slower, we kind of like hunch over, or we sometimes just start to take risks. We say, whatever, I'm going for it. I got to get to work on time. I got to get here on time. I got to get these kids to school. I can't, mm -mm, we got to go. And it makes it difficult, though, because we don't always know what's out there. I mean, even when the road is familiar to us, there may be surprises along the way. And we really do need to remove all of that filter, that film of ice from our windshield. I'm even, you know, making sure that the fog is no longer on the window itself. We need to remove it to reveal what is really out there to see what is out there. And, and I think so often in our, in our own lives, not just in our driving lives, that we have a way of filtering things out or maybe putting a little bit of a mask on. And it affects how we see ourselves or how we present ourselves to the world or even sometimes even how we see the world, how we see other people, how we see God. And we cover up often what we don't like or we enhance the stuff we really want people to pay attention to, um, either because we really like that about ourselves, or we think they will like that about our, us, or we're trying to distract them from the things we don't want them to see. And it really does distort how we can see the world. It's kind of like looking through a glass that is really dirty and dim. That when you take out the Windex and you shine it up, it's like, whoa, the trees are really green. And I think this is important for us as Christians to think about it, especially in this series that we're in, of what it is to have no filter. And I don't mean that just sometimes verbally. You know, sometimes it's good to have a little bit of a filter, you know, to think about what we say. But I think in terms of how we present ourselves to the world, that when we filter out things, we filter out who we think people want us to be versus who we really are and how God sees us, those are point, important questions for us to ask. Like, is this really who I am? Or am I trying to hide who I am because I am ashamed of who I am? Or I am sure that people will not like me. Now, interesting thing is as Christ followers, the first one of the names given to us, Christian, meant little Christ. And it was an insult. It was not meant to be complimentary. 
Like, you're just a, little, a bunch of little Christ running around here acting like him and all of that. And it can be an insult in our culture because of the way that people perceive Christians. Not necessarily how they perceive Christ, but how they perceive Christians. And I thought this was an interesting quote from John Wooden, who is a, um, a basketball coach, has since passed on, I think, to the great beyond. But he said this. He was a, a very devout Christian um, and believed highly in character and that his job as a coach was not only to coach them to win at basketball, but also to win at life. And his idea of winning at life was to be a person of virtue and character. And he said, if I were ever prosecuted for my religion, which he was a Christ follower, I truly hope there would be enough evidence to convict me. Isn't that an interesting way to view your faith? That we would, our lives would be so full of evidence that we follow Christ, in a positive way that we would be convicted, that we would be known as little Christ. And to think about that as, as a compliment, that people recognize Jesus in us because of who we are, because of who we truly are, not who we're trying to put on or fake people out about, but who we truly are. And because of who we are, because of how we care, because of how we love, because when somebody then has an encounter with God, they recognize God because they have experienced God through us. That God would feel familiar to them because of who we are and how they've experienced us, how they've experienced the character and nature of God through us. And that's not to say that we are God. Far from it. I mean, I'm going to speak personally here. I am far from being God. But I want to be much like a mirror reflects an image or like this lake reflects this beautiful scene from this mountain. I mean, the water is so still that it reflects the beauty around it, much like a mirror does. That the mirror image is a representation of what it is reflecting, but it is not what it reflects. That makes sense to us. That I hope, like a mirror, to reflect Christ to this world. That I don't want to put a filter or a cover or to even you know, distort the mirror that I am because I want to truly reveal, unveil Christ to people that lives in me, to the world. And as Christians, our identity should be grounded in Christ, that it should mirror the character of our creator in the world. In a world that, you know, we often put our identity in things that are fleeting, things that change, things that disappear, things that are not secure. We want to anchor ourselves differently. We want to anchor ourselves in the truth of who Jesus is. And this starts the very beginning of our faith. It starts in the very beginning of our scripture with creation. And I want us to dive into Genesis today a little bit. You know, particularly I want us to focus on Genesis 1, um, verses 26 and 27. But I'm going to give you a kind of a real brief overview of Genesis 1 to 3, if you'll permit me this morning. You know, because in the beginning, God created humanity in his own image. The scripture tells us in the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And that this identity of ours from our very creation is to be bearers of God's image. And so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And so let's walk through those first few chapters of how God starts all of this with us. And it starts, in the beginning, God created. There is nothing before God. It is God. And this is really different 
like the Hebrew scripture, as it starts to lay this out, it is very different from other worldviews at that time. That it starts from the very beginning that apart from God, the world is not neutral. That if God's presence is not there, there is chaos. There is shadow. That the earth is described as deep. And there are shadows in it. Deep, desolate, empty, destructive, bleak, miserable. That there is death and sorrow without God. That's really negative without the presence of God. And God is described here as being separate and independent of this chaos that is being described in these first few chapters. And then we read that the wind or the spirit of God moves, breathing life and light. There was light. You know, just a simple statement and it happens. And God says the light is good. In the Hebrew, again, I got to use this somewhere. I took it in seminary, tov ma'od, or actually it's just tov here. Tov is the Hebrew word for good. And so God doesn't get rid of the chaos, but he names it and he limits it. He puts boundaries on it. And this is the promise that chaos, destruction, it is limited. It has got an endpoint. Suffering is not eternal. From the very beginning, God lays this groundwork for us. And so often we forget it. But to know this, that it may take time, but there is always hope. God's mercy really is the boundaries that he places on these shadows, on this chaos. That darkness does not overcome, that light breaks through. And so it begins these series of kind of repeated statements and actions as God creates. God speaks it, let there be, blank, 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 and it happens. And God saw it was good. So there is a series of events that God does in creation that God's commands makes it happen. And then God describes it as good. God names it as good. So often we want to look at the whole of the world and be like, it is awful, it is evil. But God declares from the beginning it is good. It is what we do with it that determines how it will turn out. And so God continues in our creation story about how to separate the boundaries or to set boundaries on things. Light from dark, waters below from the heavens and the sky, land from the sea. These things become distinct. There's a line. They become actually places where life will spring up in these different places. Vegetation on the land, living creatures in the water, birds in the air, animals on the earth, the sun and the moon and stars to rule the day and the night differently. And the main outcome of everything, of God's governance, of how he ordains, of how he puts this all into motion is goodness. It is good. And there is this beautiful symmetry to God's creation. And then on the seventh day, another boundary, a boundary for work. Isn't that interesting in a world that has no boundaries regarding work? But let's go back to day six, where God creates humankind in a very unique way from how he has created everything else. Genesis 1, verses 6, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image of God, created them. Male and female, God created them. Created to be in the image of God, where God not only speaks us into being, 
but breathes very life into us, created to be in God's image. Nothing else in creation resembles God. Humanity, or sometimes called in a fancy theological term, the Imago Dei, which is really just the image of God. I know, why do we have to make things so fancy sometimes? Just speak, speaks plainly. But the Imago Dei, the image of God, to bear God's likeness to the world. And we do this through relationship. We do this through sometimes what's called stewardship of dominion or the idea of co-creating with God more goodness. And that each aspect in this story of our creation, it is central to understanding God's intent and God's design for us. That we are made to represent God. Now, in the ancient world, they believed that an image contained the essence of what it represented. And we can see that sometimes if you studied any kind of like Greek mythology or even Egyptian mythology, that they had these statues, beautiful, beautiful artistic representations of what they thought their gods looked like. And they treated them with great reverence. And that in other even aspects of the ancient world, that kings and queens, now only kings and queens, represented the gods. We think about the Egyptians where Pharaoh represented the gods to the people. And some pharaohs even complained, com compared themselves to the gods, saying that they had divine powers, that they drew their ancestry from the gods themselves, that somehow they were that son of Osiris, or they were this son of Ra. And they were, you know, representing gods in this region. So different in terms of the Hebrew scriptures, though, that God ordains all humanity, not just kings and queens, but all humanity to represent God. And that God, this idea spins out even into our New Testament with the Greek word ikon, akon, or icon, as we sometimes use it. And, you know, who bears God's icon, this impression, this image? We do. All of humanity bears this to the world. That we are not God, but we bear his image. We show others what God is like. Now, we have all sorts of icons in our world these days, symbols that represent different things. You know, we have a Nike swoosh. We have, you know, the puzzle pieces that sometimes represent autism. We, as Christians, have the cross, which is a huge symbol for us, an icon for us of our faith, that it is not Jesus, but it represents Jesus to us, right? Well, we, in the same way, are to do this in this life, that we are to represent, we are to show up and people recognize who God is because we represent God. And it makes us, you know, to have all of humanity, to have all of humanity represent God is something so beautiful because it makes everyone, everyone worthy of human dignity, love, respect, honor, and protection. Everyone, no exceptions. And if you're not sure I'm clear on this, we can conversate about it later. But everyone bears the image of God and everyone is worthy of his love, not because of what we say, but because of who God says. We are not the ones who determine if people are worthy. God does, and he says they are because we all bear his image. All of humanity, male and female, created in his image, made in the likeness of God. 
much like kids, sometimes resemble their parents, whether it is physically or sometimes even relationally. You know, we see these things come out in, in kids, you know, like, oh my gosh, that's just like your mom. Oh man, you just sounded like your dad there. This is relational. This image that we bear is meant to be relational. Now, from the very beginning of our creation, it is about our relationship to God. God doesn't just create us and, you know, throw us off to the side. He creates us in relationship to him because we are meant to bear his image. And then we have this beautiful invitation to rule, as it's put in some of our translations. But it's really about sharing the responsibility of creation with God. God rules over nature and invites us to partner with him in it. And he graces us with this worth and trusts us with responsibility. Think about the people that you truly trust with responsibility in this life. There, there may be few on your list. There may be no one on your list right now. Huh? But God trusts us with the responsibility in this life. I think that speaks so beautifully of how God views us. And at the end of the sixth day, God's pattern in creation where God speaks, it happens. And he says, it's good. On the sixth day, it changes. On the sixth day, God declares, tov ma'od, very good. Not just good, very good. Tov is the goodness that is relational. Something isn't good in and of itself. It's good because it's located in a relationship. It's related between two things. God declares it to be tov ma'od because all the relationships between things overflow with goodness. Humans' relationship with God Tov ma'od. Humans' relationships with one another, tov ma'od. Humans' relationship with creation, tov ma'od. Very good. Now, I know we live in a world where we don't always see that tov ma'od, right? But this is God's intention. This is God's design. What we do with it is very different at times, right? But this is what God intended from the beginning. All of us created in the image of God, all created to represent God all endowed, empowered with the ability to steward our world, means that we reflect his character, his love, his creativity, his righteousness. We have the opportunity to bear this image much like a mirror represents the image it reflects, that we should see God's attributes in our lives, displaying him to this world, that this suggests that everyone has sacred value. All of us are called to reflect these qualities such as love, justice, compassion in our relationships and in our actions. That when we understand our true image, who we truly are, we remove those filters. We take the frost off. We allow ourselves to defrost a little bit so we can see clearly who we are. That we see that we have dignity and worth. That we are sacred in the eyes of God. And we are given this gift to choose. We get to choose it every day for the benefit of others or for our own benefit. And that is where the consequences come in. We have the opportunity to choose, but our choices always have consequences, which is what happens when Adam and Eve defy God, when they disobey him. And that is a story for another day. But I think we see this in our own lives. It is often hard for us to follow God and not choose our own way, that we need help in this. And this is what God knows about us. God created us. He knows that when we are given that free will, that ability to choose, we don't always choose well. And this is where Jesus comes in. Not only to save us from ourselves, our poor choices, our selfishness, 
Jesus saves us in his sacrifice, yes, on the cross. He also shows us, though, a way to be like God in our nature and our character, showing the world kindness, faithfulness, love, generosity, mercy, forgiveness. And if that sounds familiar, you were probably here the last six weeks when we talked about the character of God. Those characteristics should be coming out in us in this world because we are followers of Christ, and Christ shows us the way to imitate God in this world. That when we dig into understanding the character of God, we then understand more about ourselves because now we understand the image we are meant to represent to this world. We see this life lived out beautifully in Jesus Christ that we read about in the New Testament, that in Colossians, Chapter 1, verse 15, tells us the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus demonstrates perfectly what that looks like in this world. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, the Son is the radiance of the God's glory and the exact representation of his being, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, the exact representation of his being. So when we wonder, what does it look like to bear God's image in this world? I invite you to go to the Gospels. Start reading. Who is this Jesus? What does he do? How does he respond to evil in this world? How does he respond to those who are suffering? How does he respond to the heartbreak and the hardship of life, the suffering we all have? You will see what it means to live that out in a daily life. That Christ is the embodiment of love, mercy, grace, and truth. And as we take heart in this, as we take truly what it is to use a churchy word here, abide, abide in Christ, our identity becomes intertwined with his. We are transformed to reflect his likeness more and more. That we become these vessels of his light in a darkened world much like a mirror will reflect light into shadowed corners. You've played with a mirror and a light like that to see how you can direct that light with that reflection into places of shadows. And this abiding, we are told, isn't, isn't about doing it perfectly, y'all. We're going to mess up. We are going to mess up. It's going to happen. Give yourself the grace in that and then try again. We mess up, but we don't give up. That, what it, that is what it means to abide in Christ. We are faithful. We are loyal to it. We are loyal in our love. We stick with it. We stick with God. Even when we mess up, we stick with him. We acknowledge what we did, and we move forward, asking permission and humbling ourselves with others, acknowledging we're flawed. I'm just a mirror. And sometimes my mirror is a little dusty and a little streaked. But I'm trying my best to reflect God to this world. That when we are faced with challenges and suffering and difficulties, that we again and again choose to stick with God. That is what that old churchy word, abide, means. And Jesus gives us beautiful examples of what it is to stick with it, even when it's hard. I think about him in the garden, preparing for soldiers to come and take him away and he is weeping blood he is sweating because he is suffering in this moment he will suffer even more and yet he sticks with it he follows the plan because he has the hope 
what God is going to do in this. That he gives us this beautiful example of what it is to serve, of what it is to be selfless, what it is to confront evil and its consequences. And it is through Jesus' death and resurrection that we receive not only the promise of eternal life. So often we just sit there. We're like, I'm going to heaven. I'm good. There is more to it than that, my friends. You are robbing yourself if all you are waiting for that final vacation. Because this life right now offers us the opportunity to live in God's kingdom. We are promised not only eternal life, but new life. Being restored in this life to the full image of God. That we see this in 2 Corinthians verse um, 18 of chapter 3. And we all who with unveiled faces, unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed in his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. This is a process. This isn't just a lightning bolt moment. This is an ongoing process that happens in our lives, that we are being more and more transformed in the likeness of Christ. And if you wonder what that truly looks like in the simplest of terms, it is to love God and love others, that we would grow in this life every day, in our love for God and our love for others, that we would attain at the end of this life the greatest possible love for God and neighbor. That is the end goal, y'all, not to get saved. That is a part of it. That is the first step that gets us in the doorway. But God invites us into a house with him to live in his kingdom fully, embracing that love and living it out in this life, being transformed into that image that he originally created us to be. So this is not a one-time event, but a continuous process that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God. That when we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we dig into his word to learn who he is in order that we would be changed, not just for head knowledge, y'all, but for heart knowledge. It's one thing to know all the scriptures. Satan knows the scriptures, y'all. But to actually live them, to embrace them, to let them be a living, breathing part of who you are to resemble the character of God with faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, mercy, love, joy, all of that, that we engage with God in prayer, that we will be changed from the inside out, that our identity in Christ is not this static rubber stamp put on us. It is dynamic and it is going deeper every day and it grows stronger as we journey with him. And so today I want to add to what we prayed last week. Last week, we, we asked God to show us how he sees us, to help us remove those filters, those masks sometimes we put on to hide from ourselves, to hide from the world, to hide from others, to hide from God sometimes, which is just ridiculous, but we do it, don't we? We pretend to be something that we are not. But invite God to show you how he sees you. Show me how you see me. Help remove the fog. Help remove the filters maybe I've put in front. Help me and reflect your light today. Simple. Show me how you see me. Help me remove the fog. And help me reflect your light today. Amen. Just let that be your prayer this week. Allow yourself to fully embrace the identity that God has already given you as his image bearer in this life. You are wonderfully and beautifully created are created to bear the image of God in this world. He gives you sacred worth. Don't let anybody, even yourself, tell you you are less than. Your worth is determined by God. 
no one else. Let me pray for us as we conclude our time together today. Gracious Lord, we come before you humbly, much like Christ, hoping to know something about you so that we know something about ourselves. Lord, help us to see ourselves through your eyes and allow us to be mirrors that reflect your light in places of shadow. Let us light up this world with your beauty. We ask this in the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.